Today's episode of That Song from That Movie is coming up after these messages. Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy, or between serial killers and podcasters, than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at iwbpodcast.com and iwbpodcast on social media. The evil organization Spectre hot on our trails, but don't worry, we should have enough time to dissect all of the 1970s James Bond songs on today's episode of That Song From That Movie. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey for the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your MI6 agent host, Dietrich, and today we are joined by the, well, he's replaced dogs as a girl's best friend, it's Alex. (laughs) I've replaced dogs. I didn't get the memo, Alex. I know, yeah, sorry, guys. I usually keep you up to date with these things, but the world's just gone a bit crazy, hasn't it, with me becoming girl's best friend? I wasn't (laughs) expecting it. Top of the news. I always thought dogs were man's best friend, not woman's best friend. I thought diamonds were a woman's best friend. Diamonds are a girl's best friend, not a woman. Oh, well. Mel Gibson in What Women Want? Is he what... (laughs) Is he what women want? (laughs) Is he he a woman's best friend? No, he's just what they want. By the end of the film, maybe. Yeah, not Mel Gibson in general life. No, he's definitely not. He's not anyone's best friend in real life. (laughs) No, no, no. Especially, anyway... And we're also joined by a small-headed man of limited means who lost a fight with a chicken. It's Ben. I definitely don't have a small head, and I also definitely don't recognise the link. It's a James Bond quote. I I assumed it was. No, I, I didn't. That's what it always is. I just assumed it was genuinely about. Thank God this isn't a video <laughs> podcast. See my cranial activity. Any chickens. And now we cross over to Ben with the weather update. Is that we're not even going to try and do the how people are? The weather's windy. Back to you. <laughs> it's <Steve>. raining sideways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are you guys? Yeah, good. It feels weird to be recording in an afternoon for once for people unaware we always usually record in the morning. Yeah, this is a untrampled territory. Unnatural. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Have you been up to anything, guys? Uh, no. <laughs> There's a global pandemic going on. But... <laughs> Don't know if you know. Yes, yeah, so well, you can still do things. Not certain things, in like what we see in Soho at the moment, and everyone just drinking and <laughs> disregarding everything. Did anyone go to the pub yesterday? No, I did not. No, no, neither did I. I drove past one on Saturday, and my gosh, it was just, it was just so many people. Yeah, I did drive so through um, Leeds City Centre, and it was very busy. I'm looking forward to at some point going back to the cinema because the cinema opened up this weekend. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm thinking of going to see Terminator 2 at the cinema. Which... Although well, it's not the director's cut. It'll still be good. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. Yeah, that'd be great. There's just nothing really coming out. I guess they're trying to hold back everything. You know, I guess why would you release a, a new film that can only be released in certain markets? Obviously, American cinemas, I assume, are still closed. I think they have reopened, but it's much like it is now over here, where it's only like a quarter of the normal capacity. Yeah. I mean, my local, it's like... One film is on like once a day, so I think there's only maybe 
six or seven showings, and that's a Odeon multiplex. Can't imagine. I don't even know if little art houses are open, or if they're even busy. I don't know. Well, I mean, hopefully they're not busy, because <laughs> in theory, they, they the actual cinema chain can be able to control how many people are coming to these showings. True, true. So finally, someone won't sit next to me when there's all the cinema left to sit in. Just sit elsewhere, please. She's your wife, Ben. <laughs> well, I don't invite her. <laughs> she just comes. <laughs> Separate cars. <laughs> Again? Oh, I thought I'd picked a film you didn't want to see. <laughs> yeah, I'm just seeing Trolls 2. No, not Trolls 2. What's it called? <laughs> Trolls World Tour. World Tour. <laughs> Trolls 2. It's back. They should have called it Trolls 2. Yeah. I guess the uh, stand next to the monument that is the original. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't want to have to try and live up to that. Anyway, Bond. Yes. So <laughs> let's uh, push on with this. So we are moving on to the 1970s and all the Bond songs from that decade. But before we do that, let's look back at the 60s again. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I don't have a jingle for that. Just do. No, no. Just do the news one. I should have put a sound effect on, shouldn't I? Yeah, we just wanted to let you know what you voted the best song of the 1960s. Well, best James Bond song, not just the best song. <laughs> Although, maybe. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Can be over. So it was split into two semi-finals. In the first semi-final, it was the Doctor No theme. Well, sorry, James Bond theme from Doctor No. From Russia with Love, Goldfinger and Thunderball. And the two people went through to the final were... People. Two people. Two songs were Goldfinger and the James Bond theme and Rush With Love with Unthunderbolt only got 8% of the vote they really liked behind. It was pretty obvious who was going through after like 25 minutes of this poll going up. And they are wiped from existence. Which is a good thing in the terms of Thunderbolt. <laughs> <laughs> Room 101. In the second semi-final the winner was All The Time In The World with half the vote. You Only Live Twice and on your on, sorry, on Her Majesty's Secret Service were eliminated. Travesty. Which moves on to was it? It was travesty. Yeah, you only lived twice. Should have been in the final. We have all. <laughs> so that made our final. James <laughs> Bond theme, Goldfinger, and all the time in the world. Nothing. So more. It, <laughs> just pushing through. I'm just pushing through. <laughs> you good. The winner with 57 percent of the vote was Goldfinger. As I said, was the correct one. So everyone at home voted for Goldfinger. You were correct. And ultimately, we were proven to be the victors in life. Well done, Mum. <laughs> she doesn't have Twitter, I'm joking. So that was your 60s. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> right, okay. So moving on to the 70s. So the first film of the 70s is Diamonds Are Forever which was in 1971, which was two years after On Her Majesty's Secret Service. They got a bit sloppy, because I think we sort of said last time yeah. it was more or less one year, <laughs> every year, two years this time, probably because they had to search for a new Bond, or, as it turned out, an old Bond, because Sean was back in the wheel, back in the driving seat. Return of the Sean. Return of the Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so, Diamonds Are Forever was the seventh Eon-produced Bond film. Is the sixth and final Bond film starring Sean Connery, so this actually was the last one, unfortunately, for everyone. Oh, well, the last Eon Bond film, as we have went through. In the last... Did we mention <laughs> we did mention it, didn't we, in the last one? Yeah, we did. Yeah. It's the second of four Bond films directed by Guy Hamilton, the first being Goldfinger, which is actually significant in this case, but we'll come to that in a second. <laughs> General basic plot of this film was that Blofeld was back and he was using diamonds to create a space laser. I'm doing inverted <laughs> commas there. 
tractor, tractor beam. beam. <laughs> yeah, and of course the song for this was Diamonds Are Forever by Dame Shirley, Returned. She was the first person to do songs, and in fact she's the only person to do more than one song. I think we did maybe discuss this in the last one, and I can't remember mm. what we said. I think maybe I thought that Tina Turner had done more than one, but it turns out she hasn't. It's just Dame Shirley. She's done three, actually, and then we'll come to the last one later. I think, mm-hmm. yep. possibly, in the second half. Before we go into... Do you want, do you want some facts about the song? About the Please. <laughs> There's a very good fact about this song. So John Barry, who, of course, uh, we discussed as well in the previous episode, who's like the main person in terms of the scoring of most of the Bond films, especially the ones in the 60s and this one. He told Shirley Bassey when she was performing this song to imagine she was singing the song about a penis. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's as simple as that. That's a fact about the song. She was told to imagine she was singing the song about a penis rather than diamonds. I think like penises are forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Throw your penis in the sky, you feel the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have fit way better. Don Black, who wrote the song, claims that Barry actually never mentioned that to him. Don Black. Don Black, yeah. What did I say? I made a penis joke. You did say, you did say that. It was <laughs> Dietrich was just making it. Oh, dear. But he, he said he insisted that he was writing the song about a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> um, Harry Saltzman is back. He's, uh, he's one of the producers. So he hated the song. What a surprise. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it was him that hated golfing. This is where it all ties in. So he he hated the song. His major objection was being that the there was too much innuendo in it, which you, I imagine there would be when you're singing a song about a penis. <laughs> yes, definitely. Stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> between a rock and a very hard place in this case. It was interesting that Guy Hamilton was the uh, director of Goldfinger. And they're going back for this one because they wanted to try and recapture the sort of the height of the Sean Connery era. That was the one that everyone held up as like, yeah. this is the classic Sean Connery when we want to try and recreate it after you're the guy left. What was his name again? <laughs> I've forgotten what his name is. George Lazenby. George Lazenby. After George Lazenby left. So yeah, they wanted to sort of recapture what they had before. And so they got Dame Shirley back as well to do the song in order to sort of replicate the feel. What do you guys think about this song? Yeah, I think it's one of the great ones. Yeah, I've got to agree with that. And I don't know if it was because of the sort of Kanye West remix as a child, but <laughs> I don't know. It just it just sticks in the mind quite vividly. I think it's definitely one of the... It's pushing it top five, maybe, of all time. Strong ones, D. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And... Following from what Ben said, if I saw this was in the top five, even top three Bond songs ever, I wouldn't question it. No, definitely not. No, I'll... Not <laughs> just because you... it's Dame Shirley and she's a treasure. <laughs> Did you guys watch the pre credit scene for this? So the, the pre... Um, so obviously the song plays over the credits um, in a classic fashion after the first two. Did you guys watch the scene before the credits? I didn't know. No, neither did I. I think maybe it's the greatest pre credits Bond sequence of all time. Oh, really? Oh, I'm going to have to watch it. So... <laughs> First of all, he sort of shows up in Japan and throws a man through one of those sliding paper walls. Then he shows up in, uh, and he's looking for Blofeld at this point. He then appears in Cairo and he beats up a man in a casino. And like the man's wearing a uh, a fez, and the fez gets caught in the roulette table and just rotates round and round and round. Uh, <laughs> then he then he shows up in like some, I think it's maybe like the south of France. And he strangles a woman with her own bra. Okay. Yep. Then he drowns a man in mud. <laughs> then he throws sev- several surgical knives into a minion. And then he sort of, he pushes Blofeld into a pool of piping hot magma. Piping hot magma. And that's the pre-credits. That's all, all of it. My God. In like three minutes time. That's a proper montage. It's truly amazing. Wow. I'm definitely going to have to find that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while, long time since I've seen Diamonds Are Forever. The actual credit sequence in this I don't think was one of the best ones. Obviously the song is it's fantastic, but it's just a lot of like 
you know, nude women with diamonds <laughs> covering certain areas. I think there's a lot of good ones in the seventies, which we'll come on to later. But yeah. I think that this one was uh, was a quite a weak one. It was sort of very much in... actually. I think it was quite similar to the Goldfinger one, which kind of marries up with them trying to emulate what that film did. In terms of the films, it's not as good as Goldfinger. In fact, I think it's pro- it's probably one of Sean Connery's worst, in my opinion. It's just a bit all over the place this one because a lot of it was filmed in um, Vegas. During the recording, he was just like completely like off his face on drugs and booze <laughs> and women. Never a trip for the casting crew. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was thinking like, what is John Barry? Well, where can we go next? <laughs> Let's go to Vegas. <laughs> Soak up that uh, sort of Vegas scene. Maybe we'll write a song about it. Who knows? Then they just like write a song about a penis, Anna. Sitting <laughs> <laughs> in some sort of Turkish bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess at the very end of all these Bond songs, like the end of when we get to the final Daniel Craig, we'll do a full final list, probably based on the ones that win the survey. But what do you think about this one in comparison to Goldfinger? Ooh. That's a good one. I don't know. Mm. I don't think it's as iconic. No, I, I think Goldfinger has to be... Up, I mean, is, it, is, it, is Goldfinger the most iconic? I probably probably. I don't, I'm, yeah. I don't, we're all trying to scare yeah. around because no one's def- definitively no, saying no. it. Yeah. I think yeah. Goldfinger probably is better, but only because it's like musical cues that make you go, that's Goldfinger. But with Diamonds Are Forever, you hear Shirley Bassey saying Diamonds Are Forever. But then you do get that. That exact thing. Yeah, but that just makes you go Kanye West. Yeah, true. I think again. I think that's partly led to that longevity of Diamonds Are Forever in my head, though. I guess from the generation we are from, you know, people always have a stronger tie to sort of older generations of music if it has been revamped and redone, even if we're unaware that it's been done. Maybe until later, um, or unaware of the originals. I, I probably was because my dad was a big Bond fan, but I just think it, if it's sort of redone and Diamonds from Sierra Leone. It's a great song as well. I just I think it holds the original in greater stead because of it. And whereas I do think Goldfinger is a better song. I think with Diamonds Are Forever, you kind of like you said, D. The only part you really remember is her saying that line. (laughs) It's really I remember reading the lyrics before we did this, and I was like, I don't really, I can't even think how the rest of the lyrics fit into the song. Only only part I can sort of like think about is that line, and then they do 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 do, and then yeah, it makes you think of the Kanye West song rather than. (laughs) Yep. Uh, should we move on to the next one? Go for it. So, two years later again, we go to 1973. Two years, they're getting sloppy. I know, yeah, they're getting sloppy. But again, probably looking for a new Bond. And of course, the new Bond in this case was Roger Moore. Whether or not he was most famous for this or inventing the Magnum ice cream is difficult to say. <laughs> but... um <laughs> Did you know that he's older than Sean Connery, which I always think is weird. You just expected like them to get someone younger, but he's actually older. I always remembered him just being older weird. in the, like, the, some of the later Bonds. He's just terrible. He's just. <laughs> whoa, I mean, when we get whoa. when we get to the eighties, I mean, <laughs> don't want to spoil too much. View to a Kill, what a song! Shocking film. <laughs> View to a Kill. View to a Kill's <laughs> got a great cast as well. It's got a, yeah, I know Christopher Walken. Yeah, in it. Christopher Walken and yeah, and um, oh, what's it? What's the uh, Grace uh, Jones? Grace Grace Jones. Yeah, yeah. But yes, it's the eighth <laughs> film, eighth Bond film by Eon. Again, it was directed by Guy Hamilton and produced by Saltzman and Broccoli, the two guys at the top. Interesting. So this film, uh, do you guys remember much about this one? It's uh, it's quite no. an unusual Bond film. It's sort of the first one that pulls away from the idea of there being like this super megalomaniac villain kind of character. 
and it's actually it focuses more on like drug trafficking and like there being like an organization that are trafficking drugs. But it came at the height of the black exploitation era. Okay. So there's a lot of those like archetypes and cliches from that genre that feature in this film. And it is a bit like <laughs> I know we talked about some of the ones last time, but this one is a bit dodge, I think. But there are some good moments in it. Like there's a part where he he drives a speedboat over a golf course. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> I think this is also the one with the bus as well. You know, he drives the bus under the bridge and it like cuts in yeah. half. I think it's also that one. I think the Roger Moore films are more famous for these sort of like. I think they were just sat around the table like, oh, wouldn't it be hilarious? Or wouldn't it be amazing if he just, yeah. I don't know, had a car that went underwater? Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, this so know, that's the kind of thing. silly. Are they get to that point? I mean, like later down the line, they're like cartoonish. Yeah, they really are. They take the sort of the idea of Bond to the nth degree, um, and I don't think any of the other ones since have really kind of gone the same way, have they? So this was the height yeah. of the ridiculous ones. <laughs> yeah, let's just get Roger Moore to run across alligators. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I don't know if you guys know actually. We probably should have found this out. But is Roger Moore in the most Bonds? I think maybe maybe he is. Yes, I thought so. I think he's the, the one who's been in the most. So, like, when you sort of think of Bond, actually, my, the one who comes to my head first is usually Roger Moore, even over Sean Connery, because I think oh, I've really? seen him. Yeah, because just because those are the ones that I feel like I've seen the most. I've seen him in the role most. If we're comparing the two, they are very different, aren't they, in the role? Like, one is sort of, like, rugged and more, like, masculine and a bit, like, more distant. And then Roger Moore is just so, like, campy and a bit, like... Yeah, he's very, yeah. And that just sort of makes the films, like, feel, like, so ridiculous at times. But yeah, let's go into the song. So, obviously, another absolute classic. But this was score. So, the score for this film was the first not to involve John Barry. Okay. He was busy okay. working on a musical, but D, you'll appreciate this. He had also fallen out with Saltzman over the title song for Diamonds Are Forever. So, the argument they had of the innuendo, the penis <laughs> reference, <laughs> uh, actually sort of broke them up for this film. I don't know if he comes back. You, you, you might be able to tell whoever does the next film might be able to tell me. But he, yeah, so they fell apart for this one. So they were looking for someone new to score the film. They actually approached Paul McCartney to try and write a song for Diamonds Are Forever. But I don't know why, but they, that sort of fell apart. So they went back to him to consider him for the writer. I think Saltzman, he was eager to work with him because he passed the opportunity to produce the Beatles film Hard Day Night. Okay, yeah. So he was like, oh, he was quite eager to work with McCartney. And I think that Broccoli as well had a link to McCartney through the record label in some way. The song was written by Paul McCartney, and there is a credit for Linda McCartney. I don't, I don't know how much each of them put into the writing of the song, but in the credit, it's credited to both of them. But there was a, I read an article, and it was an interview with Danny Sewell, I think his name is pronounced. He was the drummer in Wings, because obviously the song is performed by Wings, not just Paul McCartney. And he said Paul McCartney just, he said Paul just sat at the piano, tinkling around, singing James Bond, James Bond, da da da, <laughs> and within ten minutes the song was written. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a Randy Newman thing. James Bond, James Bond, something, something, but <laughs> So yeah, I, imagine I, having that talent where you could just like just sit there and you know, in almost in sort of like a just a haze, sort of a daydream state, be able to produce something that basically goes down as you know potentially one of the best of the, one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. Yeah. And he, so he read, before writing the song, like he read the book in, in like less than a day. It was like, it's a very easy read. <laughs> so he said it was a very easy read, read it in like a couple of hours, sat down, wrote the song. And he was like, yeah, the basic idea was like, when you were younger, maybe you used to think live and let live. And then like, as you got older, he was like, no, live and let die. And that was the gist of the song. <laughs> and actually to be fair, that is what the song is about, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> First. But yeah, so back to the score. So Paul obviously was, Paul McCartney wrote the song, but he asked former Beatles producer George Martin to help with the production of the song 
and Saltzman and Broccoli liked it so much that they actually approached Martin to score the full film. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's actually George Martin that scored the film. So they wanted McCartney to write the song, but it wasn't the original choice to sing the song. More in line with the actual theme of the film, like I mentioned, which is a bit more like about black exploitation and, and that sort of genre. Saltzman actually envisaged it being sang by a soul singer. I think it was Thelma Houston, who wasn't a name I knew, but she was the one who he wanted to sing it. And there is actually a soul arrangement of the song in the film, um, which is performed by someone called BJ Arno. But I don't remember that in the film itself. It was the first supposed rock arrangement as the title song. I don't know if you yeah. can argue about that, but I think it probably is. Mm, yeah, no, I don't think you could. Yeah, I think maybe there's a couple after this one that, uh, and even in the 70s, that maybe you could argue are, but yeah, I think possibly this is the first one. And it was the first Bond song to be nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, really? Ooh. But it did lose to The Way We Were, so it didn't win. I think maybe so. this maybe was the first sort of moment that it was the Bond theme was like recognised as, oh yeah, this is going to be every single time or else it's going to be nominated. Of course, there are a few famous covers. Do you guys know them? Guns N' Roses? Guns N' Roses is one, yeah. Which um, I think was for a... I think it was like for a spoof spy film, maybe? It was for a film, the reason they did oh, really? the cover. Yeah. But there is also a version by Weird Al Yankovic. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and it's called Chicken Pot Pie. <laughs> yeah, that sounds very Weird Al. But the reason why you might not have heard it is because Paul McCartney... Yeah, so apparently Weird Al Yankovic... Whenever he does a, a cover song, he always asks the people if it's okay first before he'll like perform it or release it. And because it was called Chicken Pot Pie, and Paul McCartney is famously a vegetarian, he didn't approve the song because of a carnivorous tile. <laughs> so, wait, so, wait, so it still was released, though? No, so it was never actually released, but uh, he, did, right, he performs okay. it in some of his live yeah. shows, I think. Right. But yeah, it was never actually released. Silly weird, Al. What do you guys think, song? I'm assuming we all think it's great, because it is. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> it is great. Not only is it a great song, it is two great songs. <laughs> yeah, because of the change in the middle. We yep. got a job to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm completely contradicting myself here by saying that that sort of almost reggae-inspired beat is not very James Bond, hey. because in the previous one, I was saying <laughs> Kingston Calypso. <laughs> I was uh, shitting all over it. Do you think it's a callback? <laughs> now, it's fantastic. Do you think it's a callback from Paul McCartney, that intentional callback? Oh, yeah, of it's course. Quite, it's quite Wings-like, anyway. Though, isn't I heard it? it's like James Bond Hammerman. Maybe it's about yeah. James yeah. Bond. I mean, he's read all the books. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's read this one. He's just been begging to do a theme song since the start. <laughs> Knocking <laughs> on John Barry's door, like, come on. Originally, he'd just written that bit. And by the time he went, okay, you can go, I was like, right, I better write something that sounds a bit more James Bond. I'm keeping my bit as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is just that drop. Like, when you you see him perform it live with like it just sounds so amazing i think he did it on the brits like about 10 years ago it was it's so incredible just to watch back on youtube i just yeah i love it 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 is fantastic it is great and i think it's um i don't know i think like because it has that reggae section it kind of changes it from other bond songs doesn't it because i suppose the intro bit is sort of similar in a lot of ways to like very. Maybe the Shirley Bassey ones. But then he's sort of changed it up and given it a bit more of a modern take. But I suppose that's because he's Paul McCartney. He's like, you know, he's he's like, he's more in touch with sort of like songwriting than maybe the others are. So that's probably why it sort of maybe stands out. I don't know. But I mean, I think it's definitely up there with one of the best ones. I think it's diff- difficult to argue that. It's just a song that everyone knows. Even if you, I mean, I assume everyone knows it's a Bond song, but even if you didn't, you'd still, you'd still surely go enjoy Living Like Die. 
The seventies is going well. Yeah, the seventies so far is very high caliber. I think we're going to get into the other ones, but I don't think there's much, many duds in this. In fact, I don't know if there's any duds mm. in this decade. No. Well, good. You guys are going to argue. Okay. <laughs> Definitely think I can think of at least one. With Live and Let Die, I would say this is the first James Bond credits song, as in opening credits, oh, yeah. that I would put on a Spotify playlist and just play normally. No, oh, I want to listen to some Bond songs. This feels like the first one where you could just go, that's just a good song. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. We didn't talk about the opening credit sequence. Did you guys watch that for this? Yeah. The only thing I've put in is fiber optic lights. Do you remember those things with the, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. With the yep. swishy things where they sort of rotated? There was one of those in there. <laughs> <laughs> God, the budget's great for these, isn't it? But I didn't, again, I didn't think this was a classic one. I think the ones later in the seventies, some of them are really good. But this one, I've not, I've not really written anything else about it because I was like, nah, it's just sort of more projections on, on like silhouettes of women's bodies. There's nothing else going yeah. on. Yeah. Probably, maybe, maybe they didn't, they didn't fancy changing it up. <laughs> yeah, with, with the opening people walking out because the opening credits don't have enough <laughs> it's not silhouettes. Well, of course, there is obviously the the bullet shot as well is different in this one with the Roger Moore. So that's that's the first thing you see. Like, no, I don't know. I don't Where's think the Roger jump? Moore does Where's the, the jump and the kneel? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he does the spin very well, Roger Moore. Just always, you can, you can almost hear his hip going. <laughs> <laughs> does he do anything well? I think that's the main question. <laughs> Except invent the Magnum. Invent <laughs> the Magnum. Okay, so now it's my turn. We'll move on. We're only going on one year, so we're about to having Ooh. yearly releases. Yep. So it's 1974 with the man with the golden gun. I've got the premise. I'm going to absolutely nail this. The third nipple. <laughs> A device which can harness the sun's heat into a super weapon has been stolen. And also Scaramanga is hunting down Bond. James <laughs> Bond is going to stop them. <laughs> and that you end all of yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like how Alex talked about them going sort of slightly more nuanced with her sort of drug trafficking and things. And now we're back up to sort of use harnessing the power of the sun. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is weird. This is like clearly that one didn't work. <laughs> Let's try something yeah, else. Let's yeah. go back. We're back to megalomaniacs. <laughs> it's the power of the sun. <laughs> it sounds like what Mr. Burns would do. <laughs> it's funny that it ends in a hall of mirrors, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where sun does not exist, famously. Well, the sun's one weakness. <laughs> I don't really have much written down for the film for this one, to be honest. My favorite, there is a great moment where um, Bond. Try, like he's imitating Scaramanga but he doesn't know where the superfluous third nipple is <laughs> so he puts it in the wrong place and I just remember, just remember that being amusing I don't know why <laughs> imagine nipples just stuck in your mind quite a lot when you were younger Alex yeah always and this one's got Christopher Lee it's Christopher Lee plays uh, Scaramanga doesn't yeah. it yeah because I felt like before like him I don't know anybody who is in the films except for James Bond but like I think maybe they start to sort of introduce more famous people as the villains or maybe it's yeah. just because we were old. Well, we weren't even born. No. <laughs> that was going to be a stupid thing. Maybe it's because we were older. We weren't born. <laughs> it's 20 years before we were born. <laughs> born, born. Yeah, so that concludes all my notes on the film. <laughs> it's got a golden gun. Which was OP. That golden gun was OP in uh, Goldeneye. Oh, yeah, in Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah it was. But it was like one shot, one kill, wasn't it? So John Barry is back. Oh, he does return. From his holiday. He does return. The Messiah, he has returned. Which also means it's a return of an innuendo. (laughs) (laughs) He loves his innuendos, that man. You wonder why he had such an affinity with James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go into the song. So the song is called The Man With The Golden Gun. So bonus points. And it's performed by Lulu, who does not exist anymore. When was the last time anyone heard from Lulu? 
Is she dead? I don't know. Uh, no. She did that song with was it Westlife? <laughs> she did a song with Westlife. Oh, boys, open this one. I mean, let's take that. It was somewhere. Take that. Was it take that? We gotta say it everywhere. Yeah, well, I was in the like mid nineties, wasn't it? <laughs> well, in fact, wasn't it one of my uh, news stories for Toy Story? <laughs> was it? <laughs> That's the last time anyone saw her. Naughty Lulu. So the song, "The Man with the Golden Gun," is essentially a challenge to work in as many penis innuendos as possible. Very. <laughs> it's literally that right there in the title. So I've got a few of us. Like, for example, he has a powerful weapon. Yeah. Yep. He's coming to a glittering end. Oh, dear. And then my favourite, who will he bang? <laughs> <laughs> Not even. It's more, of, it's, more of, it's more difficult to fit it in as a gun. <laughs> sort of comment. Than, who oh, will dear. <laughs> just, just hit, see them laugh. I mean, to be fair, we can't say much. We're absolutely laughing his asses off. <laughs> Ironically, who will he bang was the question that the guy from the New York Times was asking 45 yeah, yeah. seconds into this film. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were, <laughs> were going to say that was the tagline for the film. Who will, who he, will he bang? It might have been. It's been cinemas this Christmas. Probably quite a few people. I just love that John Barry returned and he was like, I'm going to get as many innuendos into this song as possible. <laughs> who knows how long I've got left. <laughs> Ah, damn. I was looking to see if there was a tagline for the film, but it doesn't look like there is. I mean, The Man with the Golden Gun is already innuendo enough. I don't need mm-hmm. the second one. What do you guys think of this one? Because personally, I think this is one of the weaker songs in the James Bond catalogue, let's say. Probably the worst one. But just period. Yeah, I'd say so. Whatever. Or just the seven. Well, no, I'd say ever. ever. I'd say ever. Wow. Bold. Mm. Yeah, oh, I, I mean, it's definitely, li- it's definitely down there. I was trying to the list dumps. them. I quite, I, quite, I, I didn't love this one. I think it's probably were definitely down there in the seventies. But it, you know, it, it was a, it had a good tempo to it. I felt like they used the da, 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 from Diamonds Are Forever, but just made the full song out of it. So it's just. Da, 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 it sounds like my weather theme. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> weather theme. <laughs> it's going Not to weather theme. The news theme. Yeah. I would say the 70s has two of the weakest songs after the first two are hit so well. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, we'll come on to it next week, but I feel like Moonraker and this are sort of down there as some of the worst. I don't know, though. I mean, we're going to, yeah. And that's Sam Smith's song. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're definitely weaker than these ones. Some of them are definitely weaker than these ones. I think a few of the ones from last week are weaker than these, those two. I didn't mind that. I think this one's definitely the worst of the 70s, but I don't, I don't think it's terrible. I liked it. It was like it had a new vibe. It was a bit disco-y. It had all sorts of different stuff going on. And so many sexual innuendos. Maybe the longevity of disco hasn't helped the song. <laughs> what do you mean? Because disco has been so successful. Oh. <laughs> well, I think your view of disco is showing us why you don't think this is pure trash. <laughs> I mean, disco sales in the year 1973. <laughs> I'm not all about then. I'm all about now. Power of hindsight. <laughs> yeah, but if those trends continue... <laughs> Hey, you buying your pumpkin sales right about right around November? No, I grow my own pumpkins. Actually, I've got pumpkin patches. So, the man with the golden gun, the song, yeah. <laughs> so, when it was released, it was called by critics as the worst Bond song ever, which was a view at the time that was held by John Barry. He said it was a song that he felt never really came together. Really? Sicking in one more sexual innuendo yep. before he went on to the next film. <laughs> <laughs> it never really came right thank you thanks John uh, does it say anyway. like parentheses like just like titter or like sort of like laughing John Barry makes notes so do, do you guys think this is this is worse than Thunderball yes yeah yeah, yeah. 
I don't think we're alone here because I'm just looking the Rolling Stones magazine when they listed all their Bond films they put this song last as well so thank you they're wrong writer of Rolling Stones I don't know maybe it's because it's like one of the most memorable films for me so maybe I'm just sort of well yeah uh, it is yeah I'm just like you know clinging on to the song as well I agree it's definitely not as good as the first two from the 70s it's, it's way worse than those two but maybe that's why it's, it appears so bad because the first two were so good I don't think that's why <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's a bad song maybe which never came together so originally John Barry approached Elton John and then subsequently Cat Stevens to perform this song. The actual song. Well, sorry, to, this version. Sorry, to perform the song for Man with a Golden Gun. It wasn't clear from our research whether or not it was this particular song or whether or not it was a song for the film. But either way, I don't think either of them would have wanted to do this song. No. <laughs> I don't know if either any <laughs> Yeah. I mean Ellen John maybe could have had a stab at this one. Uh, the Cat Stevens version would have been very creepy. Yes, very. Historically they always seem to write rewrite them, didn't they? Like slightly for the whoever yeah. came in. Well, and John, I feel like he's almost like a no-brainer choice for, an, uh, for a James Bond song. Yeah. It almost seems strange that he hasn't done one. Yeah, I don't think so now, though. You know, like, now yeah, he's gone, like, weird low, Ellen. Did you guys see that song that he did for that coronavirus concert thing? It was horrendous. No. <laughs> he <laughs> yeah. didn't even say any words. It was just like... <laughs> he, can't, he can't sing anymore, can he? Please don't say that. I've still got tickets to see him later this year. <laughs> Yeah, but you can listen to like the actual versions of the song in your head. His baritone. <laughs> while, he's, while he's performing. Hopefully Taron Egerton will just come out and sing for him. Maybe Lulu will come out and do a duet of The Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if it happens, let us know. I, I can almost guarantee that it will not happen. I'm not even confident the gig will go ahead at this point. I don't even know Lulu is still alive. <laughs> Who knows? Nobody knows. Let us know, Lulu. Get in touch. <laughs> on Twitter. You can contact us on Twitter at TSFTMPod. And you can also vote for this song if you want to. <laughs> just Probably one, It's just one vote on Twitter. <laughs> it's, <blue. laughs> it's Lulu. <laughs> so as with when I did Thunderball, this is another one where there was an alternative song created by somebody else and pitched to John Barry. So this one was called Man with the Golden Gun without the the. The the. <laughs> this one was done by Alice Cooper. Oh, I wanted to hear that. You can listen to it. Uh, yeah, a few years it? later, he released it as an album track, and of course he did. it's strange, is the only <laughs> way. It almost sounds like sort of Blue Oyster Cult doing a James Bond song. It doesn't sound like Alice Cooper, and it doesn't really sound like a James Bond song. It is weird. In fact, the comments on YouTube all say, if you want it to sound like a James Bond song, play it at like 0.75 speed, and it'll sound a bit more James Bondy. And it actually does. I don't Tested. I don't know how people have come across that. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine. How, even Alice Cooper's rock songs, they're always a bit more sort of slow and booming, aren't they? Anthemic. Well, yeah, I mean, but Anthemics, would, I'd say, would kind of fit with Bond. I, I think it has yeah. to be this sort of huge crescendo sound. And I mean, I can't say it would be in any worse than the Lulu one, so, you know, have at it. Do you think part of the problem is with this one, that it's, like, too up-tempo? Because it is very up-tempo. I think it's probably yes. the most up-tempo out of any of the songs that we've had so far. That is definitely a problem with it. Yeah, it's just yeah, like sort of like relentlessly pounding on, isn't it? And it does become a bit, it does quickly become annoying. <laughs> oh, and when she actually says the man with the golden gun, it sounds like she's sort of like quickly forcing it in. Yeah. There you go, another uh, sexual okay. innuendo. <laughs> Barry would be proud. And scene. Yeah, so that brings an end to part one. Part two will be up next week. So in the meantime, don't forget to like, share and subscribe and hit that little notification bell. Oh wait, this isn't a YouTube video. <laughs> You've been watching the Alice Cooper video too much. 
right we'll see you next week guys bye It's probably the best wing song as well. <laughs> wow. Well, band on the run. Love and take me down to the streets. <laughs> you can't mention Wings that. Wings officially now.